back to the Family Matters podcast. I'm Jackie and I'm here with Kendra and we are going to be talking about a very important topic today and I'm going to go ahead and let Kendra explain. <laughs> so we're talking about intimacy in marriage. We want to help married couples know what intimacy can look like, should look like, and help you deal with potential problems that might be coming up in your marriage. Because sex is such a complicated topic and it is so there's so many directions that we could take this discussion. We are really today going to focus on sort of typical marriages, typical problems that occur in marriages, and things like abuse and addiction are, we're going to save for another day. So today we're going to talk about you, your marriage, and helping you and your spouse to feel happy and satisfied in your relationship with each other. That sounds great. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So what is, let's talk about intimacy. First of all, we use it sometimes as a euphemism for sex. Mm -hmm. Um, Nice people just say intimacy. Oh, we are being intimate. Yes. (laughs) But, um, but intimacy is actually much more than just sexual intimacy. And that's one of the things we wanted to to discuss as well. There's a lot of different ways that we are intimate with somebody. It is both an emotional connection and a physical connection. The word intimacy has so many togetherness implications in it. And we love that connection. And a lot of the problems that can occur in marriages result from losing that second component, whether it is the sexual component or the emotional component that you tend to focus more on. Uh, There's various elements of sexual intimacy, and we're going to talk mostly about the sexual intimacy today, and we're going to talk about how emotional intimacy is related to that. Sexual intimacy includes desire for each other, arousal, actual intercourse and orgasm and resolution. We know that quality sex is also an interaction between lots of different areas of your life. Awesome, mind-blowing sex comes from a fabulous interaction between biological factors, psychological factors, relationship factors, um, actual sexual knowledge and skills, as well as developmental issues. And we're going to talk about that as well. Awesome. Yeah, this is going to be a really good topic. And, you know, it's kind of a, it's kind of a serious topic, maybe a little difficult to talk about. So we're going to do our best here. But I think the insights that we have to provide for you will be really useful. So one, as I was preparing this outline, I, th- I thought the best way to go about this would just to be to talk about some common questions that people may have. And we're going to ask the question and then using some of the books we've read about this topic, go ahead and share what we've learned. Just as a way of information, the books we've read include the book Enduring Desire by Michael E. Metz and Barry W. McCarthy. We have The Sex Starved Marriage by Michelle Weiner Weiner Davis. (laughs) (laughs) And um, I mean, we always use John Gottman's research, so I can't pinpoint exactly what book we might have been using from him but he'll pop in here somehow and then what's the other one Kendra? it's called fighting for your marriage it's by howard jake markman scott and stanley and susan l blumberg awesome yeah so really we're going to be beginning the discussion here today and if anything that we say here resonates with you or you want to learn more we would point you in the direction of these books and hope that you can learn a lot but okay the first question we want to talk about is is sex important for marriage or can a celibate marriage be happy And my answer to this, based off of what I've learned, is that yes, of course, sex is very important for marriage because marriage presupposes that your spouse is going to be your sexual partner. I don't want to talk a whole lot about why marriage began in the first place or why governments necessarily chose to recognize marital unions, but, you know, one reason is that 
It was in society's best interest to have an organized and supported union between those who choose to be sexual because procreation is a result of sexuality and we needed to have a, a good environment for raising a rising genera generation. So governments grant special status to married individu individuals and formally recognize them as a union. Anyways, the point of that is to say that a partial definition of marriage is a state-recognized commitment between people who have decided to be sexual together. Meaning that sex is important to marriage. It's just part of the definition of marriage. And then on a more emotional side of things, as humans, we have a craving and a desire for sexuality. It's a way that we express our love towards someone. It bonds us to them. Our sexuality is not a good or bad thing. It's just a part of us. It's much like our need for food. And certainly it needs to be controlled, you know, and chaos as well as desensitization happens when we choose to not control our sexuality. But when we enter into a union formally recognized as unique because of the shared sexual relationship, it's reasonable and right to expect that we will be sexually involved with our spouse. Mm -hmm. In The Sex Star of Marriage, Davis says, when sex disappears, usually so does other types of affection. And there's a lot less hugging and kissing in relationships where there's no sex. And suddenly, if there's no affection, it becomes this mechanical marriage. And eventually, friendship evaporates, which we've identified as the key to a happy marriage. And once the friendship is gone, you invite a lot more anger, resentment, misunderstanding. And eventually, you have that emotional divorce where you say, you know what? I don't need this anymore. So sex is an important part of marriage because it contributes to the affection and the friendship that undergirds every other positive aspect of marriage. So all of this is to say, obviously, sex is important. Do you have anything else you want to say about that, <laughs> Kendra? No, well, okay. So I think I think most people listening to this are probably saying, well, yes, theoretically. Okay, not most. I imagine there are some people listening to this podcast thinking, well, yes, I theoretically understand that sex is important and like, yeah, it's a good thing. We need to have kids, et cetera, population, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, I feel like, we don't need sex that much. Or I feel like we need to have sex way more than we're having it right now. And, or I feel like sex should be different than it is right now. And maybe you're not happy with your sexual relationship right now the way it is, or you're not as satisfied as you could be. And so hopefully we'll address some of those things as well today. Mm -hmm. But know that first of all, it is important not just to exist in a marriage, but it's important enough to work on when it's not going well. Awesome, yes, so true. Okay, the next question is, is it important that a married couple remain monogamous? And why might this matter? I'll let you take this, Jackie. Oh, great. Okay, so therapists do report a deep pain experienced by the victim of infidelity. You know, there are few unpleasant experiences that rival it. And this nods to the concept of your spouse being your one and only. When you invest and fully commit yourself to someone with the promise that they will do likewise, it's it's heartbreaking when that commitment is broken. Mm -hmm. And so then, you know, there's the question, whenever I think about or talk about anything, I always have counter arguments going on in my head. So no different here. The question might be, well, what about couples who have decided to have a quote unquote open marriage? And, you know, researchers do have varying opinions about this, but I'll give you my opinion, take it for what it's worth. But I believe that it isn't possible or good to be casual about sex. Because when we turn sex into something cheap and frivolous with one partner, it's almost contradicting to expect it to be meaningful and binding with somebody else. I wonder how can you not feel used when sex is just cheap and only about using each other. And it also seems to, in to 
deadens sex, sex, you know, sex's inherent power to bind us to somebody. Also, living a lifestyle that encourages casual sex, even when you've made a marital commitment, because you're having sex with people outside of your marriage, you are then spreading that concept of casual and open sex to people who may not want that to be a part of their lives or their marriages. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I would also say that our sexuality is especially important to um, control and save it for one person just because it's tied to another human being and some might say another soul. And it's tied to the soul of that person we're being sexual with as well as the potential souls that might, re- that might result of that sexual union. And, and to me, that means that it's inherently powerful and we need to treat that power with respect. Furthermore, when we just treat sex like it's this cheap frivolous thing with one partner, but then expect it to be meaningful with another, there's a contradiction. As said earlier, this seems to deaden the inherent power behind sexuality to bind, and it also errs on the side of crossing horrific boundaries, because I believe there is danger in being selfish about our sexuality, because that might lead to more behaviors that can potentially hurt people. And then just last, I think it's irresponsible to have sex with someone who you're not going to be willing to raise a baby you know, because babies do come from sex. Sometimes we try really hard to make that not happen, but sometimes it happens regardless. And, and we just need to honor that power and, and be careful about it. Mm-hmm. Anyways, so those are my thoughts about why it's important to remain monogamous. Take it as you will. Another question is, how should a newly married couple expect their sex life to start out? So the book Enduring Desire nods to the importance of viewing a sexual relationship through a developmental lens. Or in other words, your sexual relationship is going to go through stages of development. It's okay if you are still figuring it out because it's a living, changing thing that grows and develops as you grow as a couple. So rather than worry that you're somehow not in, somehow incompatible, recognize more that you are still learning about each other and you're learning about yourself and you need to view your sex life as a fun way to get to know that side of each other. Yeah, I have a lot of students who ask questions, people who haven't had sex yet or haven't been married yet and ask, well, you know, is it going to be okay? Is it, you know, what if it doesn't work? You know, (laughs) and I I tell everyone like the number one thing is your honeymoon is not going to be the best sex of your life. It's not. In fact, your honeymoon is the time when you're figuring out how to have sex if you are in fact having sex for the first time when you're married. But recognize that it is totally okay that sex at the beginning, even if you are just all these bundled up hormones that are finally getting their release for the first time ever, like Mm -hmm. it still doesn't mean that you're going to do a very good job or that you're going to pleasure each other in the ways that you're going to want long term. And so, like Jackie said, every stage of your life is going to invite a different aspect of your personality, different considerations about your bodies, your time, your interest, and your sex life is going to change over time. And we also want to emphasize the fact that because your sex life is going to change over time, it can still be good over time at every stage of life. In fact, absolutely, adults over the age of 65 are having sex way less than people are in their 20s and 30s. And yet, many of them say that they are more satisfied with their sex lives mm-hmm. than younger people are. And can I just say something about that? So... You know, that just nods to the principle that it takes learning, it takes time, it takes communication, it takes practice, and it takes selflessness to have a a great, committed sexual relationship. It's this beautiful process of getting to deeply know your partner in this special way throughout 
your lifelong commitment. And that is a beautiful thing. So if you have sexual experiences with each other that didn't go how you want them to go maybe or maybe weren't quite all that you imagined them to be that's okay it's all part of the process it's all part of the learning game we need to take pressure off of ourselves to be this I don't know sexual prowess because none of us are we're learning we're figuring it out and we get to figure it out together and that's what is so fun about it in enduring desire that sort of one of the, the the messages of the book is that you can have amazing sex even if it's not movie sex and in fact, they call it good enough sex or the GES model, which doesn't sound very romantic. But here's the thing. You're a normal human being. You're not a movie star either. And so exactly. the, the point is that normal people like you and I can have good enough sex, happy, wonderful sex that fits into our normal lives, fits into our schedule and still brings us closer to one another, gives us pleasure and it helps us to experience love and joy. And that really is possible at every age. And it, it is and it is a process. So. Ignore the media, ignore the, the movies that make it seem like it's this wild and crazy thing. That Ignore Cosmopolitan Magazine. What's it called? Is that Cosmo? I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Is Cosmo and Cosmopolitan, are those two I different magazines? Have no idea. The one that's in the know. checkout stand. That the always, checkout stand, yeah. That is always like telling mm. you how to have the best, hottest sex of your life. It's like, okay, I mean. I was going to say, and we'll talk about some things that you can do to improve your sex life that yeah. are not from a magazine. Yeah, we're not saying that, you know, you're only going to have mediocre sex and deal with it. That's not what we're saying. We're just saying that you need to take pressure off of yourself and recognize yes. that this is a learning process that you get to engage in with the person that you love the most. So really, that's awesome. Exactly. And, you, you know, the question you initially asked was about sort of new couples and how do you you know, how should you expect things and what should you do? And again, the message is take the pressure off, take the pressure off. We believe that the route to sexual satisfaction comes from the meaning that you ascribe to it. What does that mean? How you interpret what's going on leads to whether you're satisfied or not. If you say, oh my gosh, we are, you know, I can't believe it's not working. There's something wrong with me. There's something wrong with him. He must not love me. We, maybe we're not compatible. All of those ideas, those thoughts can mm-hmm. can suddenly make you not very happy with your sex life. Okay. And so we need to replace those thoughts with thoughts like, oh, okay, today wasn't the best. We'll try again tomorrow. Or that was kind of funny. That what was just kind of happened? funny. <laughs> what just happened? And, or, or say, you know what? It's okay if we don't go all the way tonight. We can just love each other in this way and it's all right. Or Mm -hmm. the baby just cried. Isn't that funny? Oh yeah. Um, And like (laughs) the two year old just walked in. What? Yeah. So that's, uh, I I will say that Jackie and I will be using considerably fewer personal experiences. Oh yes. Sorry. Examples. (laughs) (laughs) You can share all the personal experiences you want. I'll just be like, and now for personal experience, I will Uh, turn to Jackie. So anyway, uh, so take the pressure off. It's going to be great. It's going to be fun. Okay. So next question is, how can we ensure we have a good sex life? And obviously, this is a very multifaceted question, so we'll just share some of our ideas here. Go ahead, Kendra. So first of all, you want to know, how are you doing? I think before you want to fix your sex life, we want to figure out like what needs to be fixed and, and where. So the first question to ask is, how is our sex right now? And we actually encourage you to pull out a piece of paper and write these down. Say, in, in these various areas of our sexual relationship, like, how am I feeling? So step one is desire. Do I have anticipation of the experience for my spouse? Do I have positive feelings towards them? Do I feel that sort of engine behind the experience? The second one is arousal. 
do I feel turned on? Is my body doing its turn on thing, which for men is an erection, for women it's lubrication, and other things. And number three, can we orgasm? Are we climaxing? Is it not too early? Is it often enough? Is it happening in the way that we want it to? And then the fourth area is satisfaction. So afterwards, do we feel good? Do we feel bonded and unified and energized as a couple? And then take notes on those and say like, how do I feel about our intimacy, our physical intimacy in these different areas? Well, and I would just say really quick about that is, it's how do you feel about your relationship? Not how does your relationship compare to anybody else's? And that includes what you may see or what you may think may be going on. Maybe even what your friends are talking about. Yeah, because we're all different and it's what, how do you feel about it? Exactly. And so make sure that whatever goals you set or whatever things you choose to work on are things that involve the two of you. I was going to talk about this later, but I'm just going to bring it up now. A common question that I get asked by students all the time is how often is enough or how often should we have sex? Or sometimes they'll cloak it by saying, how often do happy couples usually have sex? (laughs) And the answer is that's a terrible question. (laughs) That is the answer. Um, Mm -hmm. Because at the end of the day, for something, especially something that is so unbelievably private and mm-hmm. as personal as sex, it really has to do with the two of you. Yeah. There are couples that are happily married that have sex way less often than you may want. And there mm-hmm. are people that are having sex every day and still feel like they're not getting enough. And mm-hmm. those couples need to work on that problem in their marriage in the way that works for them. What I would just say about that to, to remind us is it's however often it takes for both of you to feel satisfied. And if there's, we're going to talk about this a little bit later, but maybe one of you has a higher desire than the other. And you know, the question is, what do we do in that scenario? But we'll, we'll talk about that in a minute. But our goal should be for both of us to feel happy with the amount of sex that we are engaging right. in. And so frequency is subjective. And that's not even taking into consideration, again, what, what quality is. One of the messages that we also want to share today is that sexuality is not just about intercourse and orgasm. And there's Mm -hmm. definitely this idea that that is the case and that that is what sex is all about. And in fact, in the Markman book, Fighting for Your Marriage, they found that most couples that struggle with some aspect of their sexual relationship oftentimes are confusing sexuality with sensuality. And sometimes Mm -hmm. the best way to improve your physical relationship is to focus more on just pleasuring each other Mm-hmm. instead of the actual goal, quote-unquote, of intercourse and orgasm. In fact, Gottman even refers to the concept of being goal-oriented in sex as diminishing your sexual pleasure and keeps you from being able to focus on the experiences and the, the, the pleasures and the sensations that you're feeling in the moment because you're like, well, we just got to get this over with so we can get to the, the mm-hmm. home run or whatever. Yeah, well, and I think that, again nods to the importance of being in the moment just enjoying what you're doing right there don't make it about looking like something in your head that it's supposed to it's it's being present with that relationship Mm -hmm. and just having fun doing this thing that we're doing right now and enjoy it Mm -hmm. okay so i think another good thing to think about with ensuring you have a good sex life is remembering that sexual and emotional intimacy are cyclical so what i mean by that is oftentimes a good sex life will lead to better emotional intimacy which then continues to lead to a good sex life so for example you may be someone who needs sex to then desire being emotionally intimate and just as a 
example of what emotional intimacy looks like. So when we say emotional intimacy, we're, we're referring back to that podcast where we talked about being each other's good friends, knowing about mm-hmm. each other, discussing our hopes and dreams, mm-hmm. turning towards each other regularly. Do you want to say anything more about that? Yeah, no, just building your relationship in non-sexual ways. In fact, mm-hmm. when Gottman does talk about sex, he really focuses on, you know, what happens in the bedroom is so much more a reflection of what's going on outside the bedroom. Bingo. So true. And Sorry, so good. Em- anyway, but, and that was it. So just that good emotional intimacy, like working on your relationship mm-hmm. and feeling close to one another, knowing one another, caring about one another, addressing those problems are sort of the first step for a lot of people in improving their sexual relationship. Exactly. So basically recognizing that connecting with your spouse emotionally, meaning being their true friend, is a great way to help them want to connect sexually. And if you're someone who needs emotional connection before you need before you want sexual connection, see if engaging sexually doesn't help your spouse lean into emotionally. Right. There's a, a really wonderful study Davis makes the point at the beginning of the sex star of marriage that the traditional order, quote unquote, of sex, which is desire, arousal, intercourse, etc., does not necessarily need to be in that order. In fact, while some people begin with desire, which is, you know, you have a sexy thought and you want to pursue that or you see something sexy and you are interested and you want to try things out with your spouse. That idea that out of the blue sexual thoughts lead to arousal may not occur to you very often. Mm -hmm. Some people think about sex way more than other people do. And you don't want your sex life to be at the mercy of whether or not one of you has an out of the blue arousing Mm -hmm. thought. So sometimes you need to take what Davis calls the Nike solution, which is just (laughs) do it. And that in fact, by starting with physical activities, mm-hmm. you can actually get your mind and emotions to join you. Yeah. And that's te- that. I don't know that they shared any statistics on this, but I definitely get the impression that that, that is more often true with women than it oh, is yeah. with men. And that beginning again with physical connection can actually lead to the emotional and mental connection that, that you're looking for. Yeah, it's just jumping all in and saying, you know what, I'm going to go for it and we'll see what happens. And then come to find out, hey, you are, you do have that desire inside of you. Mm-hmm. I want a, a sort of a sub point to this, just the, the concept of romance, which all of the authors that we're talking about reference over and over again, that romance or what Davis calls the hallmark solution, you know, <laughs> flowers and cards and mushy poems, they really do help build that emotional intimacy. One of the factors in Gottman's model for making marriages work, he says that is most closely tied to a passionate sex life is what he calls turning toward your spouse. Turning toward is a term that he uses that incorporates concepts of validation, of agreeing, being on your partner's side, laughing mm-hmm. at their jokes. What ja- Jackie is nodding and listening to me right now. Yeah. She's, she's validating me. She's turning toward me. Mm-hmm. So some of it is physically turning towards someone. And most of the time that turning toward happens in very subtle and usually incredibly non-romantic and non-sexy ways. Mm -hmm. As one example he gives is when you're at the grocery store and your spouse says, are we out of bleach? The other spouse says, I don't know, let's get some just in case, instead Mm -hmm. of shrugging apathetically. The idea is that you're with them, you're interested in what they're interested in, you validate them. And that concept of turning toward instead of away he says, is very highly correlated with fabulous, passionate sex lives. And you wouldn't think that going shopping together or ordering Chinese food or 
playing Scrabble or sharing inside jokes would have that much power to turn you on sexually. But research has shown that it does. So a lot of what helps improve sex lives we want to start with is by talking about that emotional intimacy and turning toward your partner. Again, focusing outside of the bedroom first in order to fix the problems or improve things inside the bedroom. Absolutely. Yeah, so if you want to learn more about that, we have done a couple podcasts about um, becoming good friends and utilizing good communication skills. So that would be our first episode and our third episode. So please go back and listen to those. And also just research on your own. What, what does good emotional intimacy look like? So another thing that was talked about in the book Enduring Desire was we need to recognize that a good sex life involves both intimacy and also eroticism meaning you have to have that element of sexually getting interested, sexually feeling excited, right? And one idea that he gives is to be careful not to become, I don't want to say too comfortable, but for lack of a better term, be careful not to become too comfortable with each other to the point where you desexualize each other. Yeah, you don't want your spouse to become just a table lamp in the corner that, you know, is always there. In fact, they talk about the danger of benign neglect, right, of your mm-hmm. spouse. They just become sort of a, a comfortable part of your life instead of this yeah. thing that turns you on and gets you excited. Exactly, exactly. So, you know, obviously we it's important to be each other's caregivers. We should feel free to be our true and most authentic selves. But as well, and I don't think this contradicts those statements, but it's also important. We need to be attractive to each other. Mm -hmm. We need to be continually seeking to be attracted to our spouse as well as trying to be attractive to our spouse. And I think it's good to figure out what turns your spouse on and and then flaunt it. Exactly. In fact, (laughs) research shows that even well into marriage, like decades into marriage, being attracted to your partner is still an important part of what makes for marital satisfaction. So know that that is still a factor. Now, I should mention at this point that a key factor that is mentioned in all of the books that we've read about sex and marriage is that something that could potentially lower your desire for sex or could upset your sexual relationship is low self-esteem and poor body image. So being comfortable with who you are as well as trying to be attractive to your spouse are both good things and to balance those two principles together because we do want to be beautiful and and handsome for our spouse mm-hmm. but we should also be comfortable with who we are exactly. and recognize that if your spouse says that they love you and that they think you're beautiful to not question it or doubt it just to let it be and to allow yourself to be beautiful allow yourself to be sexual without being embarrassed or ashamed of those things Exactly. And I also think we need to actively look for the good in our partner, look for what is attractive about our partner. You know, I'm going to just mention a study. So Brian Willoughby is a researcher at BYU. He is an expert in the effects of pornography on people. He's spent a lot of years studying that. And what he and other social scientists have found, one of the, the biggest, most regular effect of habitual and continual or addictive pornography use it hurts your ability to enjoy normal intimacy and in the end it hurts your sex life so you're like why is she talking about that well i would be very careful about pornography because that can hurt your ability to feel attracted to your spouse it can hurt your ability to have that normal and beautiful and natural and lifelong committed relationship i think a lot of people view sex or view pornography as just something people do we don't really talk about it but lots of people engage in it and okay whatever 
But I think we need to remember that research is showing us that that is something that is going to hurt your relationship, your sexual relationship, because of how it will hurt how you view each other and hurt how you view a normal sexual relationship. I didn't put this on our outline, so I'm kind of... But I I just feel like that's a really important point to make because I have just heard from many people that, you know, their partner starts viewing pornography and then all of a sudden what they're expecting out of their sex life changes and they put unrealistic pressures on their partner to to be something that is impossible to be because pornography is fake and so we need to recognize that if you are engaging in pornography you're going to hurt your sex life with your spouse and you need to decide what is more important right pornography because it's so focused on individual arousal it takes away the emotional intimacy that we're talking about it takes away the component that is the relationship and those two factors both emotional intimacy and physical intimacy being that cycle that works together and pornography really just makes it a one-way street I, i should piggyback off of that concept to say that sometimes couples engage in pornography together because they feel like that will boost their sex life and in fact even though it may improve an individual sexual encounter, be like, oh, we just got this great idea from watching this film together. It's mm-hmm. been shown that long-term, you become, like I said, less satisfied with your sexual relationship. Mm-hmm. You have higher and more unrealistic expectations. And the focus on your sex life becomes much more on individual pleasure as opposed to building your relationship and pleasuring your spouse. So mm-hmm. we don't recommend it, even though, again, it can, it can help with individual instances over time, pornography hurts both couples and individuals. Yeah, and it just, you know, it's just like any drug. In that moment, it will give you that dopamine rush, and sure, that dopamine rush will feel pretty pretty darn great, but over the course of a lifetime, it will hurt you. And so we would highly recommend that you not use pornography, either as a couple or individually. Mm-hmm. And just one last little point to this long, long, long question. So, again, we're not... Our, our, the focus of our podcast is not on abuse today, but it's important to recognize that if you've been abused, that plays a part into how you feel about sex. And we would recommend lovingly that you get help for that because you deserve it. And, and we're so sorry that that's something that you dealt with. And we believe and know that there is recovery and there is a wonderful, beautiful, satisfying sexual life for you that won't be tied to those traumatic experiences. It's also t- uh, important to recognize that sometimes the way that we were taught about sex where is sex was portrayed as a shameful thing. So if you feel like that's you and you have a really hard time being comfortable with sex, then that's, that's something else to investigate and maybe learn about how you can change your thoughts about that. Mm-hmm. Okay, the next question, what people really want to know is what do we do when our desire is down or maybe when the desire, or we'll just say when our desire is down. This is the most common issue that is brought into sex therapy. Mm-hmm. People yeah. say that one or both partners are just not feeling it and it's been a regular problem. First of all, why is it a problem? Well, it's only a problem if you think it's a problem. And if it's a problem to one of you, it should be a problem to both of you. There are some really heartbreaking stories from couples who, from usually husbands, but often wives who who will say, my spouse is not interested in me anymore. I feel rejected and unloved and they are unwilling to do anything about it. Sometimes we use practical concerns to talk about why we don't have time for sex or why we're not attracted to our spouse or why we're busy or tired. But like we talked about at the very beginning, if we believe that it's important, And 
more importantly, if it's important to someone we love, Mm -hmm. it should be important to us as well. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't mean that it's going to be all of a sudden better. And I think one of the anxieties that may come from a low desire partner who's thinking, okay, I've got to... I've got to fix my desire is that they may feel all this pressure then and I would say take that pressure off and just be committed to beginning to step in the direction of figuring out why you have a low desire and seeing what we can do to maybe improve it mm-hmm. and and don't put all this pressure on yourself to to perform according to some sort of desires or fantasies that you may have right away right So just a couple things. We mentioned at the very beginning that quality sex integrates functioning in a lot of different areas. The same thing is true with low desire. And so figuring out why that desire is low should begin by getting rid of negative thoughts. Like she said, take off the pressure. What's wrong with me? Why is my spouse so sex crazed all the time and can't get enough? Mm -hmm. It's not that there's something wrong with one or both of you, but people are different and that's okay. And two different people with very different personalities can still have a wonderful life together and wonderful sex life. And so, first of all, addressing those issues may require addressing issues, first of all, biological issues, and Mm -hmm. they talk about that. So, number one, are you taking care of your health? Are you getting enough sleep? A lot of the times, low sex drive is a side effect of many medications. Um, Mm -hmm. So looking at biological factors, honest to goodness, could be a major factor. People who have low testosterone levels, which, by the way, both men and women need testosterone, Low testosterone levels could lead to low sex desire. That can be something that you address with a therapist as well. Mm -hmm. So look at factors biologically. Secondly, psychological factors. How is your comfort with each other? How is your confidence with each other? Poor body image can be a part of that. Past trauma that you've experienced could be part of that. Even if it's not abuse, if you've had a really negative relationship in the past that's hurt you, you could have less desire or be less interested in sex. So addressing sort of psychological background. We also do need to mention at this point that even if psychological factors may be playing into low desire, if you are the other spouse, the person who's trying to get your spouse to want to have sex, you should not be diagnosing their psychological problems. Like, I bet you have anxiety and depression. (laughs) Shockingly few spouses want to hear that. And guess what? It's not going to make them more turned on. So don't use that. Don't do that. And then, uh, as, and then the fourth area, relational interactions, which, again, we've talked about a lot already. But not just having a good relationship, but also talking about our expectations of sex mm-hmm. and our cooperation and conflict resolution. Those kinds of things can affect desire um, in the bedroom. So looking at expectations and having those conversations ahead of time can help reduce the conflict in the bedroom and increase people's desire to have Sex. The fifth area is sexual skills, which is different arousal styles. People have different desires and interests and expectations and about how to pleasure each other, different ways that they want to act things out, erotic scenarios, different techniques. And some of that, again, is learning new techniques. Some of it is just learning about each other, and some of it is just about communicating. So before you go off and blame your spouse or yourself for low desire Look at some potential underlying factors that could be contributing to that problem in mm-hmm. biology, psychology, your relationship, and yeah. and development as well. When I feel like before we even diagnose ourselves as a low-desire person, it might just be that we have a lot going on in our life right now and yeah. we need a little bit of help with that. Or maybe we just haven't been pleasured in the way that our body likes to feel pleasure. We like to feel pleasure and we haven't recognized that and we need to 
make some special sessions where we, our partner and us get to kind of figure our bodies out. And so before you say, well, I'm just a low desire person and I have problems. It's like, you know what? I believe that everybody's going to go through a period in their life where they are more low desire. So I just, I just want to be careful about you um, labeling yourself as something that's inherently flawed because you're not Mm -hmm. you're just a human and you're going through whatever it is that's making you a little less interested in sex and so rather than throw your hands up in the air let's figure it out and be gentle with ourselves so another just one more thing to think about if you are a more low desire person I just would say we need to recognize again the importance of sex in a marital relationship. And I don't say this to make you feel guilty, okay? I'm not trying to shame or guilt anybody else. But let's just think about this for a second. When you refuse someone over and over and over again, that hurts them. You know, your spouse is putting him or herself in a vulnerable vulnerable position asking you to engage in se- in sex with them. And to be refused, like that hurts. And so I would say one way to show love is is to try to improve our desire. And sometimes that does mean jumping in and trusting that if I do this, I'm going to learn more and, and maybe my body will respond. And I'm just going to try to show my love to my spouse by engaging with them. Right. Um, the most powerful sexual organ is the brain. Uh, women <laughs> especially need to decide mentally mm-hmm. that this is important and choose to tap into your sexuality. Um, I'm just going to take a brief tangent to talk a little bit about gender differences. Mm-hmm. So um, if you look at brain scans of men and women when they're aroused, the actual parts of your brain that light up as far as neurological activity is different in men and women. Often we see men's brains lighting up in the hippocampus, the lower parts of the brain, which does address things like physical needs, hunger and sleep. And women have a lot more going on in the prefrontal cortex, which is where we you know, make decisions and we use judgment and we have, you know, doubts and, and social, social awareness and judgment and all of those things. And so women have to make much more of a mental decision to become aroused and to engage in sex than men do. So making a decision about sex and then choosing to tap into your sexuality is important. Again, a little bit more so for women than for men. Um, we know that women's bodies tend to have better function over time, actually. Men's less, but women tend to get better. Um, We also know that uh, although men and women can both have different types of sexual disorders, we do know that women usually need to feel more satisfied emotionally in order to be turned on. This is the analogy of men are microwaves and women are (laughs) crockpots. And things may just take a little bit longer and take a little bit more effort for women, which Mm -hmm. is possibly the reason that they tend to be the ones that have less desires because Mm -hmm. it does take more effort and time. So that's absolutely true. But I just want to say there are plenty of men who struggle with low desire. And if you are a guy struggling with that, you are so not alone. I mean, one marriage therapist, Michelle Davis, she talks about really she sees so many couples where it's the it's the guy who's struggling so I just don't want you to feel like there's anything wrong with you as a person or you know Mm -hmm. because that's that's actually far more common than I think people realize yeah the reason we share some of these differences between men and women is so that if you see some of these things in your marriage you know that this isn't unusual it's not weird you don't have a Mm -hmm. defunctive partner and the reason that they don't think and act like you may be just a part of being a different sex than you And that's okay too. Men are more likely to use sex as a tension reducer Mm -hmm. and women tend to use it as to express and deepen their emotional connections. Mm -hmm. Um, And women tend to focus more on that sort of non-demand pleasuring. 
than, than men do. And so again, being aware that that's something that's important to your spouse allows you to be more complimentary and say, you know what, there's not my way versus your way. There's just, we both have needs. We both have wants. How can we make our relationship in such a way that we can address both? Awesome. And can I say one more thing about the gender thing? So I can't remember exactly where I read this. I think it might've been from Dr. Finlayson Fife, who is a sex therapist, but women do tend to be um, more nurturing, more concerned about meeting people's needs. And sometimes women put it upon themselves to, well, I need to meet my husband's needs and that's why I have sex, to meet his sexual needs. And I think that while, you know, maybe that's selfless in nature, I, I would say that that thought can hurt your desires because I think it's important and good for women to realize that they do have an innate sexuality within them and that it's good for them to engage in that for themselves. It will bless your life as a woman. It will enable you to better deal with your life if you have a good sex life. And so for the sake of yourself, I would say trying to help your desire. And I get it, guys. Like, I'm a new mom. I've been breastfeeding for the last four years. Like, I get it. You're tired. You're exhausted. You're touched out. All of that. And and I'm here to say that having a good sex life will help you in your ability to live your life and so I don't want you to view it as it's your job to make your husband happy because then it just becomes another thing on your to-do list and that's not what it's supposed to be it's supposed to be something that will that will enhance your life and let's make it that so a couple of solutions that the that the authors present as far as people who have low desire again after you've addressed potential biological issues medical issues psychological issues some of them are for example pay attention to when things work When do things really go well? When do you have awesome sex? And what do those times have in common? Name some times when sex did not go well. And what did those times have in common? If you can start noticing the factors that might be related, you may say, oh wow, I've noticed every single time sex is amazing is when we are in bed by 9 p.m. (laughs) We got to find a way to make that happen. Or Mm -hmm. when I've had enough sleep. Or when, Mm -hmm. you know, my husband has shaved and so his face is smooth, you know, or whatever. Like, You figure out what things work and see if you can make those happen more often. Another solution that she gives, that Davis gives in her book, is what she calls the siren solution. Um, And this is, again, specifically for women. She says, when you show more love by placing more importance on your sexual relationship, you trigger a solution cycle. So women who are feeling like, oh, my husband is just never doing what I want him to do, and he's so lazy or he's so angry, I'm so frustrated with him, usually your sex life is not doing very well either. And she has found that if you will push to make your sexual relationship more important, you trigger a solution cycle because your husband feels that you care about your sex life. They feel attractive and loved, and that makes them happy. And happy husbands are more loving in return. They tend to suddenly take care of all of those things that they were ignoring before. The honey-do list. The honey-do list and fixing problems and being nicer and being more romantic. And so sometimes if there's that cycle of, I need to feel intimate before I'll have sex. And he says, I need sex before I'll be intimate. Figure out which one you are and figure out how to break that cycle by making the other person's priority your first priority. And then the third one, and I should give this back to Jackie. The third one is know yourself. Figure out what you want and tell your spouse. I think because sex is such a personal issue and because it's so incredibly private. It's hard to talk about. It's hard to talk about. We don't even talk about it with each other. Jackie and I can't even talk about it off of microphones. (laughs) But 
because it's such a personal issue. I'm like secretly hoping none, none of my relatives listen to this yeah. podcast. We're not using any personal examples. Um, some of it is just knowing what you want and training your spouse, figuring out what you want instead of expecting them to just secretly know it. Say, mm-hmm. gosh, I just really need to be touched more or I really mm-hmm. need you to speak to me while we're having sex and talk yeah. about that you think I'm pretty or that you think I'm handsome. Or, mm-hmm. you know, I... I know this is dumb, but it's really important to me that our room is clean and yeah. that the laundry's been folded. And you know what? If that's the thing you need, that's okay. Yeah. Again, it's not about what's the right way to have sex or what's exactly. the right way to get turned on. It's what you need and what your mm-hmm. spouse needs. So figure out what you need. Figure yeah. out what they need. And if you don't know, ask. And I will just add, it's not a non-sexy conversation to have. It sounds like it's not going to be sexy, but it's okay because once you know those things, you can mm-hmm. continue to use them throughout the rest of your life. And your spouse, who is not a mind reader, will be able to give you the things that you need in order to be satisfied. And your desire is likely to go up. Well, as we said earlier, those things will change throughout your life. Like for me, it used to be, this is one personal example that I will share. It used to be like, I I really needed things to smell nice, (laughs) which is so weird. But I really, I I would get distracted by smells. And so it's like, that's kind of weird. But hey, you know, it's important. So you Mm -hmm. do it. And and that doesn't matter to me anymore, but it used to. So I would just say, keep that continual tabs on yourself. So just, this is going on for a long time. So we're going to quickly talk about what to do if our spouse's desire is down. We've talked a lot about that already. But just a couple more thoughts is be compassionate to them. Don't bug them all the time. Be honest with your feelings. And and when I say be honest with your feelings, I would say explain to them what having sex with them means to you. Meaning, you know, when I, when I have sex with you, I, it's how I show love for you. I want to be with you. You matter to me. You are beautiful or you are handsome and you are funny and you are attractive and you are amazing. And I want to be with you. You know, like that's what I mean by be honest with your feelings and also ask, you know, garner up the humility. I think it takes a lot of humility and vulnerability for for married people to improve their sex lives. And that's hard, but it is so important that we do it. And I would say for, for you trying to help your spouse with low desire, ask them, is there anything I can improve so that you might feel more up to sex? Yeah. Say that mm-hmm. and let them tell you and be willing and, and ready to change. Um, you need to work hard about being an honest friend. We've talked a lot about emotional intimacy. Learn their love language. Be gentle with them. Be gentle with them. Mm-hmm. If you are being critical of them, you know, having sex with someone, that puts you in a very, again, a very vulnerable position. And you need to feel welcome in that relationship. And you need to feel loved. And if you are not making your spouse feel that way, if you're being critical of them in any way, that's really hard and that doesn't mean that you don't ask them to um that doesn't mean you don't be vocal about your likes and dislikes but there's a gentle and sweet and loving way to do that Mm -hmm. so and again um i think when you're trying to change the other person especially when you're feeling sex starved as the book puts it and you're feeling underappreciated and underloved and your spouse doesn't seem to care doesn't seem to want to address that it's easy for us to try and push something in fact Sometimes in class, I share the fable of the wind and the sun, and they have the competition to see who can get the man to get his coat off. So the wind goes first, and he blows and blows as hard as he can to get the jacket off. And the man, of course, pulls it around himself tighter because it's so cold. And the wind gives up, and then the sun gives it a go. And the sun, because the sun is warm and the sun is comfortable, the sun really doesn't have to do anything. The sun just makes an environment 
in which the man wants to take off his coat. And so... Sorry, I'm laughing. In which the man wants to take his clothes off. (laughs) We are talking about sex here. Okay, sorry. Keep going. I apologize. No, no, it's perfect. So the idea is, how can you be... How can you be the sun instead of the wind? And if you feel like you need your spouse to change, the more that you harp on it, the more you try and diagnose them, the more you try and push for it, the more insecure they become, the more annoyed they become, the more they think, gosh, my husband or spouse, you know, wife really are just so sex crazed. Like mm-hmm. if you let it go and you focus on loving your spouse and figuring out what they need. Yeah. Loving them in the way they need to be loved. Exactly. Not how so, you think they should be loved. Exactly. So not, not making too many suggestions or reminders or diagnoses, but loving them for who they are. And like I said, if it's, it's, if it's severe, getting help when you need it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then if you're still not sure why you're stuck and you, you can't get past that, say, well, what have I been doing and saying about these problems? And mm-hmm. how could that possibly be making the problem worse? And maybe try doing the opposite of what you've been doing lately and just mm-hmm. see what happens. One, one of the suggested solutions is to take a 180, to just try to do the exact opposite and see what happens. Like with the low desire, focus on exceptions. When do things go well? What do those times have in common and how can I help make that work? And I completely agree with Jackie about nag busting. You know, the more critical you are, the less somebody's going to be into you. It's amazing how often we end up pushing people away that we Mm -hmm. love in an effort to try and get them to want to be close to us. Yeah. And it's so ironic. And you see other people do it, but it's hard to see it in ourselves. So Absolutely. take time together, love each other, mm-hmm. and amazing things can happen. Yeah. Before we end, I just want to talk a little bit about setting goals. A lot of these are sometimes abstract concepts, and they feel, again, very personal and very vulnerable. So let's talk about setting goals. If you feel like there's something in your relationship that you want to improve sexually or any other type, say, mm-hmm. what is it that I could do that could make this better? How could I change something about myself in order to improve this aspect of our relationship? Having conversations, going to the gym, you know, making sure you go to bed on time, whatever it is you need to change, set a goal and follow through with it. Mm -hmm. Um, Setting goals is something you can do. And if you make, if you set small steps and make it action oriented, Mm -hmm. and especially being very specific about the things that you want, even if those are things that you're sensitive about, like, I would really like it if you wore lingerie or I'd really like it if the room didn't smell bad. You can set those goals, make them action oriented and just go for it. And even if your spouse doesn't agree or even if you don't agree with what the right way is to do things, that's okay. Just give it a try. Some change is better than nothing. And sometimes novelty itself is the key, trying new things and, uh, and then, you know, revisiting it, making changes as needed. So give it a shot, set a goal, and work towards that and see what it does to your sex life and to your intimacy and your relationship overall. And -hmm. I think your spouse will appreciate that as well. Absolutely. Well, thank you. So just in conclusion, you know, the whole purpose of this, we want you to have a great sex life with your spouse. We believe that sex should be a pleasurable, a unifying, a soul-binding, intimate, activity where you get to truly know somebody and we believe it's an amazing tool that will bind hearts together and help them Mm -hmm. to be more committed to each other more committed to their families and it brings joy to your life it's it's something that's worth working towards and we really hope that you will strive to work towards a better sexual life so do that work 
you can do it. It's hard and it takes a lot of humility and vulnerability, but it's worth it. And we would just like to thank you for listening to our podcast today. We are the Family Matters Podcast and we appreciate your download. Bye. See you next time. Ciao.